With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello, everyone. Welcome. This is the Field Goals Podcast, and I am Dana O'Gorman. So we are through week two of the NFL season. And, well, let's just say maybe Seahawks fans aren't quite as excited as they were after week one. So I wanted to take this midweek show and kind of do a little recap of what the point of this season is, at least in my opinion, and what I think that the Seahawks are doing. So with that in mind, I brought on John Gilbert. You guys all know him from Field Goals. John, thank you so much for joining me. Well, thank you for having me. Happy to be here. I'm so excited to talk about this because we're going to talk about the cap and we're going to talk about the salary cap. We're going to talk about the pros and cons of having a $55 million contract, whether it be a quarterback or, well, quarterbacks, who else gets that kind of money? Nobody, right? (laughs) So, um, but I want to start out this week with your reaction a little bit of what you saw from the Seahawks in week two against San Francisco. Were you surprised? Were you expecting it? What was just your gut reaction to that game? I was not surprised totally with the outcome. I was surprised with the degree to which the outcome was so one-sided. Um, it was, it felt like at least in the first half, the, you know, the Seahawks were moving the ball. They were, you know, going up and down the field and then they had a couple of turnovers and that was, they kind of went into a shell and that was it. And it, it feels like that's been something that's happened in the past before. And I fear given, given the offense that we have and the players that we have in certain roles that if, if they, you know, turtle up and go into a shell, then it could make for a very, very long season. It's quite different than what we're used to, right? Like as Seahawks fans, Traditionally, we're used to seeing pretty unimpressive first half of games and then even less impressive third quarters. And then out of nowhere, they just dominate that fourth quarter, right? It's not how you can't win the game until the fourth quarter. How many times have we heard that? And this seems to be the opposite. At least in week one, we saw a really good first half and then just kind of status quo in that second half. But this week, it was just a disaster from beginning to end. Now, that doesn't mean that there weren't some bright lights. I'm very impressed with Tariq Wollin, and I'm very impressed with what he has done. And and I still really like what the rookie tackles are doing. But it just felt to me, John, that this team was uninspired. Last week, they had something to fight for. And this week, none of that fire seemed to be there. No, absolutely. I would agree. They they seemed very flat. And then, you know, they came out. I mean, there was none of that energy. There was none of the fire that we saw last week on Monday night. And then on the other side, the Niners came out and they looked fired up. They looked ready to hit somebody in the mouth and ready to play. And we got a couple quotes after the game from the Niners that said, you know, these our goal was to put our foot on the throat and, you know, make sure they hold them down until they were done. And you you saw that from the Niners yesterday. They they didn't just want to win. 
Well, I don't know what would have happened to, to Niner Nation had the 49ers gone down 0-2 to the Bears and the Seahawks without mm-hmm. Russell Wilson. Like, complete implosion, right? It would have Absolutely. been mm-hmm. hilarious for Seahawks fans to read, but gut-wrenching for that fan base, for sure. Um, it, they seemed very jazzed to be able to finally get the best of Seattle because it history has proven that they have a hard time beating the Seattle Seahawks. Um so that was a huge shot in the arm for them. But to be honest with you, what I saw from San Francisco was the defense I expected. It, 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 we've been hearing all year long about how fantastic the San Francisco 49ers defense is, and they showed up. I don't think they had to play as hard as they're going to against a few other teams down the schedule for them um, against Seattle with the offense that we had. Um, but they were really, really impressive. I will give them that. Any um, standouts for you? Anything that you can kind of latch onto out of week two that maybe give you a little hope for what might be coming down the road? You know, it, it's just a matter of you, we've got, you, like you mentioned, the rookie tackles on the line and you've got Phil Haynes filling in for Damian Lewis. That's that's effectively three first year starters on the line. And that is, you know, not uh, the that's a recipe for disaster. That's almost, you know, it's not a repeat of 2016 because the left tackle has actually played left tackle before, but it's, you know, three, three new people on the offensive line who do not have significant experience playing offensive line is a recipe for pressure. And it's a recipe for creating offensive issues on a team where, you know, you've got Geno Smith who is not Russell Wilson and is, you know, as poor as Russell has played in the first couple of weeks and as poor as he played at times, it's just like you said earlier in that fourth quarter, when he's been chomping at the bit for three quarters and you unleash him and you let him go, he can make something happen and win a game if it's close. And with Gino, you don't have that. You unleash Gino and it's a turnover waiting to happen. And it's, it's, so it's just, it's something different. And it, it's kind of one of those situations where something's got to get fixed first. And then once, so whether it's the line or whether it's Gino or whether it's the offense clicking a little bit more, once one thing starts to click, we'll hopefully see other things. Um, but there, you know, the, the thing to take that I've taken away is that, you know, they are running three guys out there who don't have significant experience and it, it's not certainly not fantastic by any stretch of the imagination, but it's not as bad as it could be. So, and that, you know, that's amazing for 2023 and 2024, as hard as it may be to watch a 27 to seven game right now. All we can hope for at this point, I think is that this team gets more watchable for lack of a better (laughs) word and um, that we see constant improvement. I want to see constant improvement from the defense, constant improvement from the offensive line. Um, And I want to see what Shane Waldron's offense looks like at full force. I don't know that we'll get that with, are the quarterback situation we have right now, but at least we'll get an idea of what they're trying to do. And, and that's exciting. So hold on tight Seahawks fans. I think that we are going to have a rough year ahead of us, but it could be very enlightening for what is coming up in 2023. And that is a good segue into what I really wanted to talk about for the show this week. So we have all been saying, or most of the media has been saying um, all along through this whole off season, that this is a rebuild, that this is something that, And I preached it from, you know, everywhere I can. 2022 is all about 23. And that has a lot to do with the cap. Um, I want to kind of talk about, um, if you don't mind for just a minute, where the SEACs are at with the cap currently this year um, and what we're looking at going into next year, because the cap takes a significant jump next year. No, absolutely. As of right now, the team is looking, I mean, they've got enough 
cap space to uh, to function for the rest of this year. They've got around three million dollars. Um, you know, according to OverTheCap.com, I can look up the NFLPA public salary cap report. They're usually a few days, if not a couple weeks, behind. Um, but we can check that to see. I mean, over the cap is usually pretty accurate, and mm-hmm. yeah, the the NFLPA says it's four point two million. So it's 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 in that range right there, um, depending on additions and subtractions and all of that that have taken place recently. It's you know they're not going to be. I don't see them as being big spenders at the trade deadline. I don't see them you know going out and adding anybody big in free agency. But as you mentioned. The cap is going to jump next year. Should go somewhere into the 225 to 230 million range. That's going to create, you know, space. In addition to, as you mentioned, not paying a, a franchise quarterback 49 million dollars per year, and that will, you know, for next year. The right now, you know, if you if you look on one of the resources, whether it's Spot Track or Over the Cap, they're going to the Seahawks are going to have a little over 52 million dollars in cap space. The that will get a little bit of a haircut just because they you've got to account for you know getting up to a full roster that they only have 33 players under contract for next year. But once they make their draft picks, once they you know tender restricted free agents and exclusive rights free agents and bring back the guys who are worth bringing back, they'll probably have you know no less than 30 to 35 million before they make any cap decisions with you know what's the option going to be for shelby harris and all of that so it'll be a similar should be a similar number to this off season but then um you know it's just a matter of how do we think they're going to deploy that right now so you are saying just because i want to make sure it's clear for everyone that you don't feel like there'll be a big there's a lot of people out there saying that the Seahawks need to go out and find a linebacker or find a few others. They just really don't have the space for that this year. Is that right? Yeah. I mean, unless they can trade Gabe Jackson or, you know, trade Puna Ford and free up some cap space, they just, they don't really have, you know, the ability to do that right now. So you said, you said trade Puna Ford. My heart skipped a beat. (laughs) The only reason I mentioned him is because he's got the biggest cap hit on the the roster right now. So (laughs) I I don't want it to happen either. So (laughs) I love Puna. I love my Puna Ford. All right. Yes. So, so that actually I think sets Seattle up pretty well next year. And this is what I want to talk about now is those rookie contracts. If you look over the history of football, there are a lot of, really great, really expensive quarterbacks out there right now and into the past, although they're getting paid so much more now, even over the last five years, I can't believe how much has jumped. But um, but that doesn't always equate, obviously, to a Super Bowl win. If you look back over the teams that have won the Super Bowls over the last few years, you see a lot of rookie quarterbacks, or not rookie quarterbacks, but quarterbacks under their rookie um, contract. And what that does is that frees up so much space for other weapons within the team. Looking at next year and what you expect for them to have next year, and of course, once again, we don't know what their decision-making will be when it comes to some of these other players. Does that set them up to be in a good place to get their rookie quarterback? Because we know that's going to happen and maybe pick up a few more weapons. No, absolutely. Um, you know, because it's like you say, it's no guarantee that having a quarterback on a rookie contract is going to make a team good. I mean, we can look at the jets or we can look at any of the other teams that have struggled to find a franchise quarterback over the last decade or whatever, but it certainly creates a much larger margin of error. Um, if you're paying your quarterback four or $5 million and you can spend 30 or $40 million on other positions, even if, 
half of that 30 or 40 million dollars gets wasted then yeah you've got it you're probably better off than if you have one quarterback making 50 million who maybe hit or miss or you know maybe breaks a finger on somebody's helmet so it <laughs> you know it it's it, it all comes down it's all it's all the, you know the balance and it's all making things work the chiefs have obviously been competitive with you know patrick mahomes but they haven't won a super bowl since he signed his contract extension so it's you know it's little from column a a little from column b where do you want to be you've got to find that balance and can you can you build that roster around the rookie quarterback because you can have a fantastic rookie quarterback you can have trevor lawrence but if you put him on the 2021 jaguars you're going to have the 2021 jaguars so it's you know and i i I think seattle will be in position to select the quarterback or at least one of the quarterbacks that they like um you know they may not be i don't i don't think that they'll be the top pick in the draft they may you know i pete gets his guys to play hard it's you know they may not be a highly talented team but we saw week one you know how he can motivate guys and i think he'll get them back to being motivated maybe not to the level they were week one but i don't think i think week two is going to be more of the outlier than week one was in terms of effort and the uh, energy from the team and with that i think they'll be in position to get that quarterback from there that will allow them like you say to add weapons because they haven't been shy about backloading contracts or bringing in, you know, players. It doesn't necessarily mean they're going to go out and they're not going to go on a spending spree like they did back in 2011 or 2012. You know, I don't think we're going to trade for Percy Harvin, but if there's somebody out there who might be available, who could be a difference maker and is available for reasonable cap draft capital or in a reasonable contract, then I would, you know, you, we know they're in on everything. They brought in Clowney, you know, they brought in Adams, um, and if there is a playmaker that they think can add to the 20, you know, in 2023, it wouldn't be a surprise at all to see them make a big splash move, not, not just in free agency, but through the trade market as well. Mm-hmm. And then you add on top of that, all of the draft picks, all the draft capital four picks in the top, you know, in the first two rounds, which based on how the Broncos and Seahawks have looked through week two, <laughs> that could be four of the first 33 picks, but I mean, it's, we'll see. So. It'll certainly be interesting to see how it plays out. Speaking of that draft capital, even if Seattle does not end up, let's say, with the top one or two picks, which I agree with you, I don't think that's going to happen either. Top 10, probably. Top five, possibly. But we will. I don't think they'll be right there at the bottom. Um, but they have the draft capital to move up if needed. I, I don't want people to panic. And I hate the whole, you know, that everyone just wants to dump this season and lose as many as possible to get the highest traffic. Sure. If organically they get there, that's awesome. But if not, they have the draft capital to move up and get whoever it is they want. <laughs> now who that is, no one ever knows because <laughs> they just kind of, you know, pick randomly, but you can know that for sure it should be a quarterback. It better be a quarterback um and because of the situation we're in right now looking at this team right that that we have in front of us do you see we i feel that there are a handful of playmakers not named dk metcalf and tyler lockett that could really serve this team well um in that kind of transition to a young quarterback um do you feel like there's any players that maybe and don't say puna for because that will make me very (laughs) sad but any players that maybe you know, too much for the team next year cap wise, 
and Jamal Adams, yes, I get it, but really you can't move on his cap. I don't, I don't think you can move on him till 24. I, we have him for at least one more year people. So get over Jamal Adams right now. Um, but I, I just don't know who else is on this team that maybe would give them some, like you said, trade capital. And there's really not on, on the raw, on the Seahawks roster. I don't right. really see anyone who's, you know, I mean, you know, somebody would probably trade for Metcalf or Lockett, but they're not going to, that's the kind of guy they're trying to, you know, that they want to add. It's not the kind of player that the Seahawks would move on from. You don't move on from that kind of difference maker. Of course I say that, you know, six months after they traded the greatest quarterback in franchise history, but I think there were other factors at play there besides just being, you know, the quarterback in the play. Um, And I, before we get into anything else, I just want to say, I completely agree with you on Jamal Adams. And just to add a little tidbit on that, I know everyone is, you know, on the, message boards everywhere else has said oh we can cut him it's 21 million we just eat it and the thing is is with adam's contract he's got i believe it's 2.56 million in injury guarantees for next year which will vest into full guarantees the week after the super bowl which because he's on injured reserve and he can't be cut because he's injured the there's no way to get out of playing that or paying that it's going to be 24 million if they move on from him and i just i can't see if pete and john are around i cannot see them moving on from adams without giving him a shot to at least come back um so Mm -hmm. i think we're on the same page on that it's you know if if he's ineffective next year, yes, maybe 2024 is the year when he's gone. But I, I think you and I agree on that. As for who, I mean, who could be moved on in 2023? There are a couple, you know, there are some role players who could maybe be sent for, you know, I could see like a Quentin Jefferson or something like that where they get traded uh, for, uh, I mean, not a big draft capital that comes back in return. Like, you know, a late round pick swap where you, we give you our, Six, you know, we'll we'll send you Q Jeff and you give us your sixth and we'll give you our seventh or something like that. Um, but I don't see, you know, I don't think there will be any big, big moves in terms of unloading Seattle players. You know, I, I would be surprised if Gabe Jackson comes back. You know, they can eat three million in dead cap, free up six and a half million. But I I just I don't see I don't think there's gonna be a wholesale Moving on from guys, I think they'll free up some cap space with some other things. You know, signing Noah Fant to an extension would not be a big surprise to me at all. I will be very surprised if they do not extend Jordan Brooks next year, unless they just plan on keeping him around until the fifth year option. But I think there's, you know, they've got the flexibility to do what they want next year. They just don't necessarily, I don't, I don't see them making splash moves in term in in order to get there. The logical moves, I'll make them, and the rest of it will be filling in the pieces. And that is actually really encouraging to me. And let me tell you why. Because that means that they don't have a lot of fluff on their team. Do you know what I mean? They don't have these huge players, you know, and once again, we're taking Jamal Adams off the board, people. But they have these huge players, and these huge contracts of people that they don't need. That These aren't people that they that they have to get rid of in order to make more space or make more money for their team. They've actually handled it really well this year. Whether you like the rust trade or not, I'm not going to get into that with people. Um, but from what they've got right in front of them right now, it looks good. Um, and so that encourages me that maybe next year they'll start to gather those pieces in. 
and we'll start to see it much like we did in 12 and 13 when Michael Bennett came on and Cliff Averill and those players, they'll go find those players that fit whatever scheme they are going to have in front of them. This is a learning year, in my opinion, John, I really feel like this year they're learning with what they, what they have with them, with all these rookies they have, they're learning this scheme minus Russell Wilson. They're learning how this defense can function under hurt. And so this year is such a learning year that then they can go apply that to free agency, to trade, to the draft next year. And that that is really encouraging and exciting to me. I, I know people say I shouldn't be excited about this season, but I kind of am. No, and I agree. It's one of those things where it's like, this could be a really, really ugly season for the team. But at the same time, it's, you know, if if Mike Jackson performs at once on one side and Tariq Woolen on the other and Kobe Bryant turns out to be competent, you know, in the, in the nickel role, you've got two thirds of your cornerbacks on rookie contracts and Mike Jackson's a restricted free agent. You sign him to a reasonable deal, give him some guaranteed money. And you don't have to think about that position for the next three years, barring injury. And that's before you figure out what's going on with Trey Brown. That's before you figure out, you know, do we have anything else in the depth, you know, that we add in the draft in day three next year um, and all the other guys who are on the roster. My, I guess, Seeing the young guys play this year, seeing the, you know, seeing the rookie tackles on offense, getting Ken Walker a shot to develop, uh, you know, having the tight end position basically addressed for the next couple of years is very encouraging. The, you know, what is what is frustrating to me, at least, is that the positions where, you know, and, and I understand why Pete, you know, is the way he is about it. You know, it's like I look at the situation. And I see, OK, we've got Austin Blythe at center and Gabe Jackson at right guard. And it's that's a couple of over 30 offensive linemen on a team that, you know, is not likely to be highly competitive this year. Should we be having, you know, should we be playing a younger center? Should we be playing a younger guard? You know, what's what's the story there? I get Jackson being on the field for veteran leadership. I can completely understand that. But it's just from a, you know, from a that excitement of the rookies being on the field standpoint. It's like, Hey, we've got all these flashy rookies. Why are, you know, why isn't Boyamafe getting more time? Why isn't D Eskridge getting more time? Let's figure out what we have. Who cares what Marquise Goodwin can do? He's 31 and he's gone next year. I do not care. Right. It does not excite me at all. Put D Eskridge in. If he's bad, he's bad. We figure it out and we move on next year. If he shows flashes and he learns something, great then maybe we've got something in 2023 and that's you know that's maybe the most frustrating thing for me in watching this year is that there are all the you know more veteran guys on one-year deals who are keeping some of these younger guys that you know maybe they sink maybe they swim you know, but we won't know because they're on the bench for right now right that that's 100 percent true i just said last week someone asked me about ds Gritch. i said i don't know I mean, I've never seen him play. I mean, we've seen him play, but you get what I'm saying, right? Like we have no idea what the kid can do. He's either hurt or not playing and it's baffling to me, but I get what you're saying at the same time. I, I would counter that a little bit with you have that veteran leadership to teach these kids in their spaces, but by God, by game six, I want them out of there. I want, I want the young kids in there playing. This season is not a Super Bowl season. Let them play. Let them learn. I completely agree with you. No, I agreed with you on that. So. Yeah. John, ask, let, if you can kind of get people up to date, because the cap is really confusing. So it, it is. It's baffling to me. I got in this huge argument with my friend Miguel. I said, the cap is not real. It's all fake. It, you can make every loophole and you it doesn't count for anything. And he gets very frustrated with me. He's like, no, Dana, that's not how it works. But... Rookie quarterback contracts, if they are in the first round, 
approximately, then can they negotiate their contract more, the signing bonuses? How does that work for a team since we are going to have a first-round rookie quarterback next year? The the exact payment plan and the exact, uh, I mean, the dollar amount for the four-year contract is basically going to be set in stone. And then how the quarterback is going to get paid is going to be is what is negotiated you know a, a typical rookie contract if someone's taken in the second or the third round is they will receive a signing bonus um and then they'll you know a few hundred thousand a signing bonus or whatever and then they'll get their base salary each year with when it's first round those players have a little bit more negotiating ground so they will typically negotiate something where it's there's a signing bonus and then they'll get paid instead of being paid salaries for a team like Seattle, they'll pay a team. They'll pay their uh, first-round picks or early picks. They'll give them roster bonuses that are based that they get paid in training camp. And the reason why, um, I mean, it basically comes down to tax purposes. If you are in Washington and you don't have to pay state income tax, and you can make, you know, you can get two million dollars in August that you pay no state income tax in, versus if you get paid that over your 18 games, and you have to pay California taxes when you go and travel to be against the Rams and against the um, 49ers and you got to pay Arizona taxes when you go to take on the Cardinals and you got to pay New Orleans, ta- you know, Louisiana taxes when you go pay, play the Saints. It's it's just a whole lot easier to not pay taxes um, and to have that. So the, the pay structure is a little bit, that's a little bit different, but it's, you know, at the end of the day, it's going to be, you know, if it's the number one overall pick, it's going to be somewhere in the, you know, it's going to be a four year, $35 million contract, something like that. If it's somewhere like, um, Charles Cross, you know, I, I believe if off the top of my head, I want to say he signed a four year, seven, $22 million deal. Um, I forget exactly what it is, but it, you know, it's, it's not going to be a, it's, it's a fraction of what a, a franchise quarterback gets paid for a single season. And you're getting that quarterback for four years. So it's, uh, you know, it's a good, can be a good deal for the team if they deploy it properly. It, it can be a great deal for a team because what that means is then they have that quarterback through 27 or whenever they extend them. Cause we know that always gets a little questionable too, <laughs> but, um, and you, and you can have that and build the rest of that team around them. And to be quite honest with you, that fits right in with Pete Carroll's supposed five-year plan that he has. And so I think it's going to be really interesting to watch. I'm, I'm kind of excited about it, but they are expecting the cap for the NFL according to overthecap.com to be $256 million in 24. That's crazy people. And what that means is that there's going to be a lot of players who want a lot of money. There's also going to be a lot of players out there shopping teams. And to me, that seems really exciting. So John, what are you hoping to see out of this team against Atlanta this weekend? You know, I think it's, Probably, I mean, between it and Detroit, the the two very winnable games. I'm excited to see. You know, I I think Atlanta's in a similar situation where they they've got a young quarterback. Um, you know, they they're going with the veteran right now. They've got the youngster they just drafted. You know, sitting on the bench behind him, and a you know, they're a feisty young team that has has been very close but hasn't been able to figure out how to put it all together. And I'm interested to to see how that plays out against the Seattle team that has put it all together in spurts here and there um, and then see how, you know, see how Mariota is able to do against the bend, but don't break Seattle defense that likes to give up a whole bunch of yards and not nearly as many points. So definitely be watching that. 
It's going to be a lot of fun. All right, John, thank you so much for joining me. I appreciate your knowledge because again, the cap is damn confusing. It really <laughs> is. It really is. I appreciate your time. I hope everyone enjoyed today's podcast. We will be back again next week. Although we're here three times a week for you people. So you can find us on any of your podcast streaming services and we'll see you again next week. Thanks again from the Field Goals Podcast. Mm-hmm.